I'm Trin Collins, and welcome to the podcast, More Friends. Here, we will be reconnecting with the artists and writers who have come to the island over the past 10 years. Lighthouse Works is a nonprofit dedicated to giving amazing people the time and space to focus on their work. Each month on the podcast, I'll interview a former fellow, diving deeply into who they are and the themes they keep returning to in their work. We aim to share with you our friends, these lovely and marvelous thinkers and makers who we've met over the years. After or during the episode, make sure to visit our website, lighthouseworks.us, for more content, including images or links to some of the topics we cover. So let's get started. Hi, and welcome. Today I caught up with Simone Kearney. Simone is an artist and writer who lives and works in New York. I pick her brain on her beautiful new book, Days, published by Belladonna Press. We talk about the politics of a period, thinking with your hands and the helium of thought. Tune in. Simone is amazing, and you'll surely fall in love with her work. How are you doing? It's springtime. I know. It's so nice. I'm just so happy. Does it feel like spring where you are? It really does. Yeah. It's I mean, it's been like between 50 and 60 degrees. The sun is out. Well, it's raining today, but um, just it's such a relief. I know. The city's about two weeks ahead of us, I feel like, in bloom time. So like... Oh, really? Are the daffodils up, up? Um, They are... They're kind of emerging. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um. I've been thinking but, so much about your work and I feel like the book Days is like so much about time. And I just was thinking about how spring is my favorite time because I feel like it, this feeling of waiting for something and then having it come mm-hmm. within some kind of like, um, uh, like visual language where it's like, you know, only like maybe a month and a half where you really feel like, wow, it goes from zero to 60, Mm -hmm. um, is pretty, is pretty amazing. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, days is, is, is very much about time in so many different ways. Um, I mean, one of the ways that I feel like it's about time is um kind of how it switches between the list and the narrative like sometimes the words um the words kind of are compiled or the clauses are compiled um in such a way that it feels like I'm just listing um or I'm doing a practice of kind of an uh, of listing in an atemporal manner, like it's an atemporal list of words and 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 fragments, as I said, but of language. But then other times it kind of switches into the temporal listing, which then becomes a narrative. So suddenly it's inscribed into time and into a kind of context in which, um, like the language becomes grounded in lived and embodied experience. Um, Anyway, I just launched in there to talking. No, I love it. And you know, when I, when I started to read it, I felt like I was being swept down a river is what it felt like. And I was just Mm. sort of on this Mm -hmm. river. And then 
occasionally the river would go through a town, you know, and then we would go back <laughs> into the wilderness. And so I thought that was so cool. Um, I loved that mm. feeling of it. Did it, when you started it, um, I have so many questions about it. One is when, when did you start this and did you start it knowing that this was the form it was going to take? Yeah, I, um, I, I, I started it, um, probably around 2012, actually, like a long time ago. And so it became a project that literally was a kind of form of timekeeping and that the project was, took me so long to complete, um, and I kept kind of revising it and going back into it. And and to answer your question about the form, I I was over that period of time trying to find a form for it. Mm-hmm. So actually it became a kind of um, like almost the book is in some ways like the gesture of see- having sought out a form, even though in its like final rendition like in the way that you see it in the book it has a very clear and kind of rigid structure in Mm -hmm. some ways um like the structure of it um which is these seven line um stanzas uh that that and there's no there's only commas there's no periods or other kinds of punctuation really and so it's a kind of both a kind of flood of fragments and also, but they're all kind of pinned down into this like little rectangle on each page and each stanza has its own page and sits in the middle of the page. So there's a way in which, um, yeah, the, 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 the way that I wrote it over the many years was, was I revised its form. I put it into all different shapes and sizes. Wow. Um, and finally, I came upon, like I stumbled upon the 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 rectangle and this kind of more rigid form that wanted to repeat. Um, I mean, I, my answers to the questions always have to be roundabout and com- complicated. No, it's fine. I'm. I feel like you just feel good about any answer because ultimately, <laughs> it's like um, I'll keep digging. You don't have to feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, the reason is uh, the reason I say that is just because. So I wrote, I wrote these. I, I the way that it kind of came about as a project is because I was writing these texts that ultimately they were really kind of navigating this kind of tension between being fragment and being a kind of a longer form and this kind of like. Mm. Um, but but with the accumulation of the fragment um that started to happen like I just kept writing in fragments and I couldn't seem to complete any of the the writing that I was doing into a thing that felt like a poem or something finished or complete um so I did like I will say that like early on I did have a like about 15 pages of a poem that looked a little bit like it does today but then after that, after finding that form for it, like, and I think at that point it was like four line stanzas that were long. Um, after that, I kind of then re-put it back into the kind of machine of could it be this or that? And it <laughs> kind of went in all these different directions. And then it came back with that seven line kind of stanza structure. 
is your natural way of sort of organizing things fragments, like pieces? It seems to be very much kind of, um, it seems like I, I have a magnetic, it, the, the fragment draws me in like magnetic. You're the magpie. <laughs> You're just. Um, I can't, I, I think it's, it's less that I'm interested in the fragment of, in and of itself. I think I'm more like preoccupied with how it could be this or it could be that. So everything ultimately feels like it's, I'm like just so hyper aware that everything feels like it is fragment, even if it attempts to be whole. Mm. I'm constantly aware of like, but if it's said this way, it would be different. Or if it's done that way, it would be different. And so that first utterance, even if it was complete, becomes a fragment in that it, I realized that it's not, it didn't do everything, you know? Is that why um, days ends in a period? Uh, because you were like, days- it's got to end, you know, like, <laughs> I, I, it seems like a big choice, period or it not to period. Choice. I Exactly. It really was. And, and either way, it's kind of not quite satisfying for me because, <laughs> um, like there was something about um like if it was a period it would almost be like too self-consciously kind of asserting like the never-endingness of it and i just i decided that you know sometimes there is a period and and we can take a breath and um and you know what happens then i don't know so the, it, really the period's like hopeful it's like whew. uh i don't even think it's necessarily hopeful like in some ways i thought of it even as a maybe like not a joke but like a tiny bit <laughs> like here you go you finally get your you know period simone you can like you can have <laughs> after that 108 of pages <laughs> <laughs> yeah you like um I think it's a nice gift I mm. I didn't feel like it was a joke granted I don't know yeah. that I'm like the most inside reader um so I felt like thank you you know like yeah. <laughs> I got to the no, end definitely I mean I mean joke not in a kind of slapstick way but maybe maybe that too but but more just there's something to me that was like maybe it's the kind of absurd humor that I'm like maybe especially you know sensitive to like the Irish I feel like have, have a kind of sense of humor that's maybe a bit quirky or something and or just uh, like a like a knowing like a winking mm, yeah I do right? I yeah I mean I feel like there needed to be um I just didn't want to be so heavy-handed as to never give the text a moment of pause Mm. and and so the book ended and maybe then there was a moment of pause that just um necessarily which is natural I feel like in a way it sounds like we're really we're giving the period too much to think about right it's like exactly there are periods there are moments in every moment right where it's like yeah you have to take that breath in order to say the rest of the sentence or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, almost exactly. like denying a natural thing that just, exactly. it just is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think that would have, that's why it would have felt too, that's why 
yeah, I would have felt too heavy handed not to put a period at the end or something. Yeah. Um, but also I was thinking about the fact that in at least the English language, once you put that um, like period at the end of the sentence, the rest of the sentence kind of, the meaning becomes more clear what the the rest of the sentence is, mm. you know? And so there was a way in which um, I, I was kind of also thinking about that, that there was suddenly a, a new possibility for the arrangement of 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 meaning or the the, like the way that pushed was, the reader back to the beginning that yeah. they said oh now that there's a period maybe i need to yeah swim Something back like upstream that. yeah <laughs> um i have sort of um an embarrassing question um mm, okay so uh in the world of poetry there are things called chapbooks. And everything I kept reading about days was like, this is the first full length book by Simone. And I was like, all right, but like, I've read other books. Like, why, why is this different? And can you explain to me, like, just in the world of poetics, what the difference is? I mean, it's actually funny. It's, it's just a question of length. Um, That's it. As far as I know, as far as I know. Um, okay. And I don't know why, um, but any, you know, usually a chapbook is like 15 to 30-ish pages, mm -hmm. and a book tends to be longer than that. Okay. Um, and it's kind of arbitrary, but I think, and, and, I, and I kind of want to double check on this, but that's a that's what I understand to be the the distinction. And but length does a lot in terms of how us poets esteem, you know. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny where it was like, she made it. <laughs> she got to the book. And I was like, okay. Um have you read true, yeah. have you read any of the reviews online? I read one I really liked and I was curious. A, if you'd read it, and B, if you liked it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it was on something called, um, uh-oh, what was it on? It was written by no one, someone named Zoe Contros Carol? Carol? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they had just really fun sort of um, takeaways from it, mm. where I was like... Um, and I was wondering if you feel like when you read these kinds of things, if you're like, oh, great, someone gets it. Or are you a little bit like, Ugh, someone's trying to pin me down. I don't love that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I was, I loved that review. And there was a number of other reviews that I was, um, like Ollie Hazard wrote one, a number of other people. And I was, um, uh, like Rob McClellan and, um, I, I was, I'm always like amazed that like anything gets through to another person. It's just, it's like that, that does really surprise me. And, um, um, you know, that feels like heartening <laughs> that, that yeah. actually something communicated 
um, and is legible to another person. <laughs> yeah, because you play with legibility, and I I think you play mm. with um. Well, I've so many I've so many things to ask you and say about really that you you kind of have your hands in so many different pots, which I think mm. um is funny. It's it's discouraged when we're younger. I feel where they say like. Oh, you're a poet or you're a painter yeah. or whatever. And then as you get older, everyone's like oh, interdisciplinary. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's the height of the best. You know, it's just sort of like, <laughs> and I think obviously it's connected to fashion. Um, but mm-hmm. I also think like um, what I find so interesting about your work is that, you know, your visual work plays with language and then, you know, it, it, your, your poetic work f- plays with this like, you know, the gap, the connection, this sort of like where the words, um, I don't know, the the trouble, the puzzle that is language. And I'm Mm -hmm. just curious, um, how do you see yourself in, in those two worlds? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely always been like a troubled relationship that I have to, each medium because I always feel like I'm coming at it from the wrong end or something like um from the side side of it instead of you know the way it should have been introduced to us or something yes um I, I I definitely think um yeah like the way that I relate to language is often uh like or like my my former like teacher and good friend, uh, the poet Timothy Donnelly talks about the thickened signifier and like how language, and I often think about this kind of the, the, the way that like words sit on the tongue or have a kind of materiality um, and this kind of relationship between their immateriality and materiality. Um, I mean, and I think that 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 relationship to language that I've always had um, um, then naturally made me need things and need to touch things um, and need to um, make things that had a materiality that was even more kind of um, uh, emphatic than you know, language is the, the materiality that language usually is, is, um, it's like the slipperiness. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and there's really, you can't argue with a hunk of clay. (laughs) No, exactly. And you just can't get over, like I was talking with my friend recently, um, and he, um, uh, Jarrett Ernest, who I've had a few kind of for, like, I've had a formal, few formal conversations with him in print, but, um, uh, he's a good friend and we talk about each other's work a lot. And he was reminding me that I have to think with my hands and I often think with my hands and that, um, the hand kind of is this kind of central point, um, Mm. in my work often. And I think that that's, that's true. You know, how there's something about being able to touch, touch, the a kind of material and and think yeah think think about it find ways to um like 
realize a thought or give shape to a thought um, through mm-hmm. something as like elemental as like mud or something or stuff or pigment or oil or um, it just yeah um, I I think I yeah I've I've wrestled with this relationship between um, between language and image and material and object and and it hasn't been it hasn't felt like an easy one I know like the interdisciplinary is kind of uh, maybe all the rage in a way um, or there's a more of a place now for for interdisciplinary yeah. practices but it it really was something that that didn't it, it felt very necessary but it didn't um feel comfortable um necessarily um for me because um because I actually literally just didn't understand like the relationship between all these mediums hmm. um clearly and that didn't feel comfortable um and it didn't totally feel clear to me why I needed to like have my hands in so many cookie jars like um it's hard enough just to wrestle with one medium and so but I I don't know like I don't want to bring it back to biography but I was kind of thinking um about my practice and um I I grew up bilingual and I and I grew up also between countries and I'm always like maybe that made me have a predilection towards feeling like feeling like you know the the constant need to transit between mediums mm. and languages um what was the other language uh, french french yeah okay. I have a french mother yeah um, and you grew up in ireland right yeah or yeah. kind of between the two? A little between the two, but mostly in Ireland, yeah. Okay. Um, and then eventually moved to the US. So, but I, um, yeah, I I feel like I'm, I'm still navigating this relationship between mediums, but they're also finding, um, I'm finding their, 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 how they can be superimposed to more and more like like the more recent shows I've had of sculpt like that that are of ceramic sculpture they're they're starting to really be laced with text and find like starting to um I'm starting to like the the recent show I had um at Art Shack Gallery um it was this solo show of ceramic work I also made a book for a book of text that to accompany the sculptures um and the same with this other body of work that is ceramic sculpture again um i'm pairing with with text so um so i'm also interested in kind of for a long while i felt like it was poetry by itself and then you know painting or sculpture or whatever by itself and and now i'm um, kind of finding ways that they're becoming, yeah, more interlaced and interwoven. I think it's really exciting. Um, mm. And I I think it's exciting for all the reasons that it's scary, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. I was looking at your show, um, the one at Art Check in Brooklyn, and you called it a muck. 
Um, mm. And I actually couldn't recognize the word. I had never seen it written down. And mm. um, and then when I looked it up, I was like, oh, right. And this, so it was a it was a version of a word that I like had never really seen written out, but I knew. And so even just to think that like words live <laughs> sometimes not even written down, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I I was thinking about um how you title work and that like that must be so fun for you because <laughs> I find it really hard because I find it a, this way of pinning a work yeah. down. And yeah. I I think for many years I felt like um in the art world it like wasn't cool to to reveal too much of what you were trying to do. I think things are changing and I think like we don't have to be these like um uh you know geniuses that make no sense. <laughs> I think <laughs> the art world for a long time was really into but um I I just, um, I'm curious about your process of, um, titling things. And if you mm. really like, I was looking also at the ghost bird balloon and UFO oh, yeah. work. And that has like long titles that feel like their own little poems. Yeah. I mean, honestly, um, I have trouble with titles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's everybody. Everybody has trouble. <laughs> I think that. I, I'm, I'm always aware that, um, of the kind of dominant, like the way that words can be domineering in relation to, Mm. to, to to the visual, to visual artworks. And, um, and so I, I sometimes tend towards wanting really lengthy titles, like even the, it keeps the the door open. It keeps the door open. Um, at the same time, um, I'm also interested in kind of very flat titles, um, kind of something like just announcing what it is, because um, then I think the way that I end up, like I often will choose a kind of, like it's an easily recognizable noun that the artwork has a relationship to, like say a balloon or a ghost or a wave or um, like... A cry, like a crying head or something like that. It's like you kind of see what it is and the title can announce that, but it's the work I, I tend to like then create multiples of those those things. Mm-hmm. And then that complicates that noun, you know, like, yes, it's that, it's like the balloon, but if there are multiples of it, then it starts to split apart, even though it's all under the umbrella of the same single easy one word um and I think that that's something that I you know um do often explore in my work is is the the noun that starts to split apart by being by virtue of how it's um kind of how it manifests in the material or the image and I think it can be generous of the repetition it can be generous to the viewer like okay here's here's kind of like some, some stairs, like deeper yeah. into the work. Um, and, and I think it'll let them linger a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a little kind of like a, a refuge, like a, a kind of location. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like I a- think, um, I think a lot about 
who the viewer is, right? And mm. like, obviously we have our immediate community that like they're in on a lot of um, how to view and how to read. And then you yeah. sort of have, you know, these outer communities that you want to connect with, but that are going to connect with it on different levels. And I think um, if the work can just have these little edges that people can just like hang on to and enjoy, I think it's it's really generous. I came across a word the other day while watching one of my favorite guilty pleasures. Um, <laughs> and it's the idea of a polymath. So it's a, someone who's like an accomplished, someone who's accomplished across many things. Mm. Um, and I was wondering, like, do you feel that way where you're like, you feel like you've been able to get deeply into a lot of different things? Does that resonate with you? I, uh, you're not I one to brag about yourself. So <laughs> I would definitely not. I, I think, um, I think I'm always kind of, I feel like I'm always kind of chasing the tales of whatever medium I'm working in. And, and, um, I, I feel like so far I'm kind of still, I'm always feeling like there's a lot that I need to, like there's a greater intimacy with the material that I kind of, you know, uh, longing for and working towards, um, like, I mean, I do, I, I, I kind of feel like the way that I work with, with clay has, has, um, has been about, um, it's obviously much less to do with kind of an expert handling of the material, um, mm -hmm. And sometimes I kind of am I'm interested in kind of a more rendered um, uh, object that that requires a kind of deep knowing to of the material to have been made and a deep knowledge of the material to have been made. And the same with my painting sometimes, depending on the project. But I also feel like... Um, uh, a slightly kind of anxious relationship to my material because I don't know entirely what I'm doing is often yeah. kind of how, how I proceed. Um, and it's like, it gives the right tension. I feel like, um, I feel the same way. I didn't, mm. um, I very much, I feel like come to making things from a little bit of like outside the mm -hmm. traditional sort of like, guild and knowing exactly how to mix things and yeah, whatever. So, um, yeah. but then I meet people who know all that, you know, who mm. can render anything. And I yeah. find that they often struggle with what, what to render, you know, mm. like mm. often their tension comes from a different angle, um, yeah. that I wouldn't want. And so mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, uh, um, I feel nervous about where I'm coming from, but I'm also happy that the tension that I'm working with is like, it's like an yeah. uphill climb. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> to climb uphill, but the, the, come, the downhill seems, seems tough. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, well, I, I look forward to that moment of downhill, honestly, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, I like, yeah, I often kind of think about, uh, 
like I think about kind of like there's this image in I think it's Heidegger who talks about like when the hammer like stops working suddenly you because when it's like just functioning as hammer it's like you just use it and it does its thing and you kind of you use it as pure vehicle for the thing that you're trying to do which is like say hammer the nail into the wall and then you don't really think about it it as as object really Mm. um because it serves its purpose but once it breaks or once it's not functioning then it calls attention to itself as a material, as a thing that has properties, as a thing that's made up of parts, as, you know, what, you know, all that. So I feel like so far my relationship to whether it has to do with language that I'm using or, you know, paint or, or clay, um, the way that I proceed has always been like, oh, I'm not, it, I'm not, like I didn't do it properly and, and it kind of, and so, or I don't know how to handle it quite properly. And so somehow that, that makes, for me, I'm like constantly being uh, called to re- um, recall the, the fact of the thing mm-hmm. and, and, um, and like how it works and does it work and can it work and how could it work? And um it's a thing like remember it's a thing and it's it's thinginess is um is like I feel often something that I can't um that I kind of obsess over something and and even if you know I've been dealing and wielding wheeling and dealing words for instance (laughs) for a long time um it never it's like I never, and I always have a relationship to it. That's, that's about, um, like I'm, uh, tentative around it and the same with any other medium that I work in. Mm. Um, and, and it is, and I, and I feel like my practice has felt a little dizzy in that I'm like, you know, you're in it and out of it at the same time. In and out of it at the same time. Do you think that's like part Partly from, um, so I was looking and it says that you got an undergraduate degree in philosophy. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that feels like, you know, you're sort of your first thing that you're really diving into as a person, as a scholar is questioning everything, <laughs> learning how to question it. And then you're sort of then going to spend your next two master's degrees thinking about how to make stuff. Yeah. It seems like your recipe there (laughs) (laughs) well I think too it's not just studying philosophy I actually my dad's a philosopher and so it was even earlier than that that I was kind of exposed to um or around a lot of people who were I suppose asking a lot of questions but also not just asking a lot of questions which I think um is what I love about philosophy but attempting to render um an account for you know how we you know how do we even answer those questions and of course like yeah philosophy does it's the gadfly you know it's the um uh it's the it's the this kind of activity of chiseling away at what we think we know um yeah it's like the problem of thinking (laughs) <laughs> exactly. 
Um, but also, I have to say, I was equally kind of found it a marvel to be around people who could offer a possible explanation for how we're here, why we're here, or what do we do and how do we do it and how do we know what we know. And that um, was both like amazing and daunting to me that that someone could also have that kind of a power or ability to handle language and thought and to formulate it and, and crystallize it into this kind of sentences and ideas um, like and, and that was like amazing to me, but I, I, and I never felt like I could ever have that kind of ability to arrange my thoughts in such a manner or to kind of, um, kind of shape and sculpt, um, thoughts and words in such a manner as to kind of get to those places of kind of clear understanding, even for a moment, even if it's to understand that it's all, like it's all worthy of being doubted or something but so yeah I I feel like I definitely came from a place of of uh you know philosophy was was also this space of you know the space of thinking is is this like is philosophy's Mm. like stage and Mm. and there was and I loved the kind of ability to abstract from this kind of the mire of experience that philosophy allows for. But I think I also suffered from kind of getting lost in that abstract immaterial world. And it it wasn't really for me. Like I actually mm. needed material. I needed to feel the weight of something. I needed to feel like I needed to know how to understand something. Um through a kind of like engagement with it in in a concrete way but I do think that there's this definitely a relationship between thinking and and art or poetry that thinking as it relates to kind of a philosophical doubting Um, it's almost like you go to the materials of language or of you know um clay or painting and in a way I almost feel like you're you're almost attaching you know um if I think of like philosophical thought as being like helium balloons right Mm. and they're just Mm -hmm. they're floating into the sky it's almost like you're trying to attach the balloons to all these things and just lifting them off the ground (laughs) just enough (laughs) so that we see them a little bit differently you know (laughs) I love that image yeah and I I I often have thought about the helium of of thought or the heat like there is a kind of like radical lightness um Mm. to thought you know even if it's um like yeah what is this relationship both like that weight like gravity and lightness have to thought versus the world as we experience it not not to create this kind of a dichotomy between those things because it's all like knitted together but but it 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 is something also to do with the body i think like how does thought relate to the body how does um uh the way that I move my hand help me proceed or like articulate a feeling or a thought or an idea. Um, 
Like, and would you is- say that like philosophy ignores the human body traditionally? Western um, philosophy or no? I think, you know, it's funny. My my dad's actually written like a lot about um, the the relationship between thought and like how, how Western philosophy has often kind of denied the body. And so I've had mm. a number of conversations. I'm psychic. Like I'm psychic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, the the body has been, and especially touch has been a sense that's been uh, mm. not privileged. Especially, it's the optic. You know, the, it's lowly. The, it's lowly, right? Um, and because it doesn't have the distance that seeing allows for, like touch, kind of collapses the boundaries between things. Um, yeah. And in any case, uh, you don't have a vantage point. You don't have kind of a, mm. uh, you can't, you can't have a view um, of the thing. And in any, anyway, so um, I think, I think I have been, I didn't. I didn't set about with like I want to think through the relationship between like touch of and not. thought or something. No, no. It actually was a kind of painful, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, um, kind of necessity that um, that I that I just I yeah I, I kind of actually in college wanted to be. I thought I might maybe even be a philosopher. Um, or a scholar anyway of, of literature or something like that. But, um, I just, I just, the, the, the body kept, um, kind of, uh, tapping on me. And I, I think that, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. The, the question is kind of very general and kind of beyond my ability to answer, like what exactly is the relationship that Western philosophy, like what place has Western philosophy given to the body? Um, sure. But I do think in my own, per- I have read a bit about it. Yeah. As I said, um, and had conversations about it with either, um, you know, I have read about it, like interested in the relationship that philosophy has given to the, bo- like how it thinks about the body. But um, in my own personal experience, it just, there, there seemed to be this kind of, um, uh, like thinking through the body with the body about the body seemed like something that, um, when I was studying philosophy and studying literature and kind of heavily privileging words and the verbal Mm -hmm. and idea and thought and abstract thought, um, the body was like clamoring for more room in terms mm. of my attention and the attention I gave to it. And it was like, it was like, there was something about this tension that, that I had to work out and I'm still working out. Um, and I would say the work that I'm making at the moment has, has a lot to do with, um, you know, both the relationship between the visual and the verb the visual being this kind of thing that has been given a more material reality also um but but also um like 
like these sculptures that I'm making at the moment. They're the they're called the mm. criers, and they're these sculptures of yes. depicting these crying faces. And mm-hmm. they're made of like unfired clay, and I mean sometimes they're bisque, but but they're not glazed. Um, and it's just like so they're really just earth. And I'm interested in this moment of crying as like an an um, an event in which like the body is laying claim to the event. The body it's involuntary, is, right? It's, yeah. I mean, it's not like the act of crying can't be voluntary. Sometimes it is spectacle. Sometimes it is show and manipulation. But that is that is also interesting that there's this kind of tension between the like raw, fierce, like this is like a like blowing, like this is emotion or feeling or or something blowing through the body, blowing through the subject, and kind of opening up its borders, and it's a kind of rupture. of the interior into the exterior world or, or, you know, it can be this kind of, it's, you absorb what happens from the outside. It kind of ruptures something inside and then you rupture the surface of your face with your tears or something. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so like, I think how the, the body, um, yeah, how it, how it, um, it's, it's making its pressure felt, um, in in that moment and and I think too with those sculptures I'm interested in part in like how it's a moment in which say feeling which is like material immaterial becomes materialized as say tear or something Mm. or um uh like it becomes a thing kind of like a word except that it has even more like it's literally a substance that the body produces it's also universal Um, right it's like and it's universal yeah just wild yeah i mean i could i could talk in so many different ways about this relationship i think between like the body and thought or or idea and matter um Mm. in like on how i think about it but that's yeah that's one example well, let work. me, let me ask you a question. Um, did you have like an aha moment where you thought like, I'm a maker? Did that happen? Or was it slow? It, um, like I was always making like as a child, teenager, uh, I was always writing too. Um, but I kind of, I was like, am I a maker for a number of years? And then Mm -hmm. I would say it was around the time, it was probably like my mid-20s, where I was actually very much writing poetry and doing my MFM poetry, but I, I realized, yeah, I am a maker because I just couldn't, like, I, I realized it was, um, I, like I, I, c- I couldn't not do it however actually kind of annoying it was to feel like I was a maker because actually I was trying to like write poetry and that's hard enough and like <laughs> um you know why do I need to like uh, grow another 
limb or something, you know? It's you like, do seem like very prolific to me. It feels like <laughs> a com- if I'm like just sort of looking at your work as a whole, I think like, wow, you just must be almost like compulsively compelled to just yeah. like, mm, gotta be doing it. Yeah, that is what is an accurate description. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm always, that's why I kind of, yeah, like my making, I think, is a form of processing Mm -mm. experience and the world. And it's a kind of breathing and it gets really heavy because I need to do it so much. So it takes space and it's like, yeah, Um, but it's a, yeah. Do you have a studio right now? I do. I um, have a studio in in Ridgewood. Um, okay. I was I was artist in residence at this space called Art Shack, um, which is a ceramic space. But they have an, a residency for artists, and so I was making there mostly, working towards the show that I just had. Um, but but I do have a studio, yeah, in which I usually make my work. (laughs) I guess I'm thinking like, how do you structure having multiple projects at once? Oh, it's very hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just, um, I, I like make a lot of lists. (laughs) Okay. I love a list. I have so many to-do lists. Um, And I just, um, I usually though my projects, I do them like they're kind of co-happening a lot, but they're also, I end up, you know, having, they end up being forced into a kind of conveyor belt of this has to go first and then that has to go after. Because you have deadlines. So it'll be like, yeah, gotta. Yeah. Um, But I just, um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like I suppose stretched thin um (laughs) (laughs) okay so here's I'm just gonna have some random questions that I've been thinking about um what's your biggest vice would you say oh my god (laughs) um there's so many um just pick one it doesn't have to be your best um let's see My, I want to say maybe my indecisiveness. Okay. Um, I love it. It's a very meta answer right now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Perfect answer. I have, I could, I could really go on and on. Um, (laughs) There's many more that are vying for first place. (laughs) It's okay. Here's a new question. What's your biggest guilty pleasure? Um, My biggest guilty pleasure is... um, (laughs) First thing that comes to your mind. Um, Maybe you don't have one. Maybe that's your biggest problem. No, I definitely do. I do. Um... Uh, I really like, um, Gautran. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time answering this. It's tough because sometimes you um, think like, oof, there's a really 
amazing answer out there. And if I could yeah. just go past this other non-sexy answer um, <laughs> that keeps knocking at my door. A guilty, I, I suppose it's, um, oh, gosh. I'll tell you mine. Uh, it's bad TV. Oh, yeah. I couldn't, I was trying to decide whether I would go like, um, like bacon or something. Cause I love like baby pigs or, um, <laughs> that's a good one. Or, that's a good one. Um, or like whether I should get really kind of, um, like, I don't know. There's something to do with, I think. Yeah. I'll just say baby, 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 baby pigs. pigs. That's fine. <laughs> I think also baking can be grown-up pigs. I don't know if that makes it any better. Um, I know, but the baby ones grow into the bigger ones, and they do. And they're as smart as dogs. It's they're all so smart, and they're their so... flesh is like the same as human flesh. It's all really problematic. It's it's really upsetting. <laughs> um, okay, next question: Whose work do you just adore? That you can't get um, enough of. You know, there's, again, many, many people whose work I could name, but one person at the moment is, is Ronnie Horn. Yeah. Um, I just, um, like, the relationship, I think the way that, that she works, she treats glass, um, mm. and the way that she um, explores kind of questions of sameness and difference in her photography and in her sculpture mm. um, and the relationship she has between words and, and, and kind of making. Um, That's a good one. Mm. Um, okay. So here's a similar question perhaps, but mm -hmm. um, I feel like this might be more connected to sort of like a childhood idea. So, who would you say is your diva? Wait, so what would that be? Just like my, like the queen? Kind of. So for example, like someone who maybe when you were growing up, you were like, yes, they're doing it. They're doing what they want. They're, you know, I mean, you could have a grown up diva and maybe Ronnie Horn is that it. Oh but... yeah. Well, you know, I think when I was growing up, I really, um, I, I met Julia Kristeva a few times mm. and uh, the philosopher and she seemed like I, she was doing exactly what she wanted and um, was so... It's pretty radical when you meet someone who you feel like, wow, they don't give a crap. Yeah, just exactly. She was doing just, it. Yeah. And, and so brilliant and so kind of... It, such a seer and so powerful mm. and had such like yeah sexy and everything mm. <laughs> um okay what okay if i had to you just said like you gotta read it no matter what before you die you gotta read it doesn't have to be on the top of your list but just one of the things that you'd be like got to do it um i would say paul salam's poems all right um I've been how do you spell salon c-e-l-a-n um, not how i would have done it 
<laughs> and he, um, he just, he's like trying to write after the Holocaust and just kind of, mm. uh, trying to it's like find a space to describe, to, to write and to, to word life, um, within the context of a language that, you know, so betrayed him and so many others, uh, which is the German language um, at the time. So, um, like, he has this kind of troubled relationship to the language that he writes in, and there's a kind of way in which he breaks down the language, um, um, and then it blossoms. That's very cool. Yeah. Mm. I, um... I like this idea that you, in order for something to blossom, it has to break down. I feel like that goes back to this idea of seasons, right? Yeah. Where it's like, you have to have winter, things have to fall apart. The seed pods have to disperse. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a kind of haunted blossoming because it's so, his work is so full of grief, but, um, but it's still, there's beauty there like kind of impossibly so um after so much you know mm. turmoil um and catastrophe but um i mean there's so many other things i could also suggest as, as hey to be i read, like I, I like whatever whatever comes <laughs> off your brain first um <laughs> and the last thing i want you to talk about um is your time on the island I forget what year you were here. It was before I was here. So it's got to be what, 20? It was 2016, the summer of 2016, um, just before you arrived, like literally, like probably a month before you arrived or something. Were you part of the group that was there when I interviewed? Yeah. Yeah. I remember. My goodness. Yeah. I'll never forget. We all loved you immediately, of course. Oh. But you made an amazing apple pie. I, I lots of pressure went into that apple pie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was so amazing. Um, I, uh, you know, I loved, I loved. I, I'm actually really, really great friends with one person who was a resident there still. Um, like we became very close friends and collaborated on projects together and Laura Bernstein is her name. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, it was, it was so great to, to be able to be by the sea and to, to make and, um, and to have that, to have that like studio with so much light. Um, <laughs> you guys were in the studios before they got redone. Yes. So you were troopers. (laughs) Yeah, but I had, I mean, I, they were all still really beautiful. I, um, I had that, that studio that's now the gallery space. Yeah. Um, that was my studio and, and, uh, it was, yeah, everyone there was so, so wonderful and I loved the meals all together and going, I still have dreams sometimes of that, that beach. Um, with the huge stones, like the huge rounded stones. Yeah, Isabella Beach. Yeah. Um, so it was right before I moved back to New York. Um, mm. And so it was like this transitional 
period in my life. Um, but I absolutely loved it. Islands are good for transitions, I think. They are very good. Because they're like, I was just talking to our director of um, the museum out here and we were talking about the role of fantasy on the island and that like, it's this really strong urge to do because you have this sort of consumable amount of space. You know, you can sort of wrap your arms around it in a way and your mind around it. And so you sort of feel like, um, uh, maybe like almost a fantasy idea of we can fix this, we can do this, we can do that. And, and I think part of that is productive. And then part of that is like sort of not so productive. Um, Mm. but I do, I'm hoping one of our other fellows will write an essay on it. Cause I think, um, you know, islands also serve a very big fantasy part in literature and everything. So I think there's a lot there, but I really think the way people talk out here does have a bit of a fantasy element to it. That because you can like conceive of and actually literally kind of touch the borders of the space that circumscribe the place that you're in and that it's held by something as kind of definitive as water like it's not some like imaginary boundary, which is like now you're in, you know, New Jersey or something. I know, totally. Manhattan. It's like, no, no, there's actually like a clean line <laughs> or a clean break. And it's actually not a clean break, but it's 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 um more legible as a kind of definite boundary than than and there's often this, is the case. There's this passage between yeah. the two, you know, it could yeah. be short, you know, like mm-hmm. a 15 minute boat ride, but there is some kind of passage. And so like, as a human, your brain goes, oh, I'm here. Yeah. And then when you leave, you go, oh, I'm gone. And yeah. so there's this exactly. weird break. Yeah, I know. It's so, I mean, I, cause I come from like Ireland, obviously as an island, a much bigger island, but I think there's, I, it is really interesting to think about what island like the island uh, syndrome, like what's, mm. what's the syndrome? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, uh, and I think it, you know, I'm sure that it, that, um, um, yeah, it's, I think it's worth thinking about, like, because of course you're, there's something about the completeness of the piece of land. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's a complete thing. Of course, like if you're in Ireland, it's a split country. Like there was civil war, but. Um, that complicates things. Yeah. But, but that you could, you could conceive of it as one, 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 one like tangible um, surface um, mm-hmm. that's like unified. And, and, and yeah, I think that's, I think there's something that we all lot we all long for that. Like we all long for such a complete thing. I know. Um, and yeah, so that's cool. I'm, I'm curious about how, how this fellow might approach. Yeah. Um, yeah. I gotta, I gotta re-email him cause I think it'd be really good. Um, mm-hmm. in Ireland, well, this is, oh yeah, you go. Well, I was going to say in Ireland, um, uh there's like four provinces and then that are actually like the country itself like just made of four different distinct provinces geographically but then there's a fifth province which is of the imagination so it kind of like transcends the borders of that delineated (laughs) island space and is it recognized like is like everybody knows about it 
the fifth I don't province? think so. I don't think so. But I just heard <laughs> it's very romantic. It's, yeah, yeah. Well, especially if you're a colonized country, you you kind of need an imaginary extra space to fair go, enough go kind of huddle in and rage in. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes I think so. <laughs> okay. Oh my goodness, this has been so nice. Thanks so much, Trent. It's been oh great my gosh. talking. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And keep in touch via our Instagram at to the Lighthouse Works for any podcast or residency related news. And don't forget to check out all the additional content that accompanies each episode on our website, lighthouseworks.us. I also want to say thank you to all the artists and writers who have come through our program. We are routinely in awe of what you do. I also owe a great big fat thank you to Nate Malinowski and Claudia DeSimone. Thank you for keeping us afloat. That's all for me for now. See you next time on More Friends.